Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So today we're jumping into week three of our series called Margin, and I got a quick question for you. How many of you would say that often or occasionally you feel some financial stress or pressure? Would you just shoot your hand up, be honest? Oh, come on, there's more people than that. Let's play. Okay, there you go. There they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look around this room, you kind of see that that's, that's quite a few of us. And, and the reason this is happening is because this is kind of normal. Financial stress is a normal thing. It's just normalized in our lives, living paycheck to paycheck, having monthly payments that we have to make on our debt or even having debt. It's the worry, the anxiety, and the fear that's attached to it, the tension and the fights that have come as a result of it. It's all very normal. It's, and it's really normal to live your life with little or no financial margin. That's what normal is today. That's why we have to refuse being normal as Christ followers. God has something that's better because normal's not working, guys. Normal's just not working. So here in this season, or in this series, the, the, the word we're using or the thing we're after is margin. And here's how we've defined it for you. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, margin is the amount available beyond what, what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary. In other words, it's the difference between what you have and what you need. In your financial margin, the way this could play out is that, that you have, you earn $2,000 and you spend $1,500 of it. How much margin do you have? 500, good job, awesome. But a lot of us live this way. We earn 2,000 and we spend 2,000. So how much margin do we have? Even more of us though, live this way. We earn 2,000, we spend 3,000 and that gives you how much margin? No, that's a negative. That's a negative, right? But this is normal. This is how we live. Most of us do not have financial margin. You say, well, Aaron, what does financial margin give me? What gives you money in your pocket available to help those that are in need? It gives you money available to be able to do something that you enjoy doing. It gives you money to be able to live without stress. It gives you money to be able to purchase time margin. So like last week, we talked about what time margin is, having specific periods of rest in your life. Some of you need that. And if you have financial margin, you can purchase time margin, which means like paying somebody to clean the house or mow the grass for you. So you get more time because you don't have to do that thing. That, that, that leaves some availability there. And there's an availability to have peace and to have rest because you don't have to worry or be anxious or afraid. Financial margin is something most of us do not have. And I believe today that God wants us to have financial margin in our life. Check out what Proverbs has to say. It says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Look, at saying, in the house of the wise is more than enough. In the house of the wise, there is margin. In the house of the wise, there's storerooms full of whatever you need, that that's what's found there. But a foolish man, a foolish man devours everything he has. The foolish man lives paycheck to paycheck. 
Now, if you're sitting there and you go, ouch, Aaron, that hurts a little bit. Listen, understand that today's message comes to you and is brought to you by the word love because I love you. And that's why we're going to talk about this today, all right? God loves you too. Notice this, though. The Bible does not say that in the house of the wealthy, there's margin. It doesn't say in the house of two incomes, there's more than enough. It doesn't say in the house where there's six-figure income are storerooms of what you need. No, it says in the house of the wise. In the house of the wise, there is more than enough. There's a wise way to manage the finances that God gives you, and there's a foolish way too. I've had people in my life that I know that they look rich, man. You roll up to their house, and they've got three luxury vehicles in the driveway. Got a huge house. You go inside, crown molding, beautiful, everywhere. High ceilings, you know the kind. Got one of them big chandeliers hanging in the foyer, because it's too fancy to say foyer. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. They got granite countertops, four full bathrooms, bless the Lord. More space to know what they, to do with it. 72-inch TV hanging on the wall. And it's like the OLED HD kind, you know what I'm saying? Some of you tech nerds just got real excited. It's beautiful. They got a whole bunch of stuff. He dresses nice. Goes to all the fancy boutiques and gets his clothes. Wears nice watches. Has his own yacht. From the outside, you look at this guy and say, this guy's got it together. This guy is wealthy. He's rich. But when you get a little closer and you begin to spend time with him, you learn what all that looking wealthy costs him. Because see, cre he's created a lifestyle that he has to now upkeep. He's created a whole bunch of payments that he has to now make. And that's caused stress in his life. You can see it. He carries stress every single day of his life because he has to earn a certain amount of money every single day in order to support the fancy lifestyle they've created. And it not only stresses him out, but that stress gets passed on to his spouse, meaning his marriage, and the rest of the home. They're not at peace there at all. There is so much tension in that house. You would look at them and think that they're wealthy, but to me, they're poor. They're poor because of what they're experiencing. They spend every single dollar that they get. Then I have another friend. He's wealthy, but you wouldn't know it. Because you walk into his house, and in the driveway are two used vehicles, both of them close to 100,000 miles or more. You walk in the house, and there's, the ceiling's just normal height. It's got little popcorn stuff on the ceiling, you know? There's no foyer. It's barely even a foyer, you know? It's like the entrance bathroom kitchen, you know? It's like, it's living space. There's regular countertops because, man, they work just as good as the granite ones do. The TV's not huge, and it's not new. They don't have all the newest tech like everybody else, but what they do have is financial margin. And you can feel it when you walk into their house. They're not stressed. They're just not stressed about money. And because they're not stressed, their kids aren't stressed, it's a stress-free environment. It doesn't mean that they don't have worries and cares in other areas of their life, but it ain't coming from money. They're not losing sleep over money issues because they have margin. They have margin. No, they don't have the biggest and the best of everything, but they have peace. And most wouldn't think 
that they're rich. But I'm here to tell you that rich is really defined wrong in this, in this day. You see all that big house, my other friend, all the stuff that he's got, but you don't see the tension. You don't see the stress. You don't see the weight of all that. My friends that have financial margin, time margin, moral margin, they have peace and they have what matters most. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. So let's be wise. Let's look at the words of Paul, the apostle. In uh, 1 Timothy 6, he's talking about what, he starts off with what a house with margin might look like, what a smaller house might look like, what, what a house where, where people are okay driving used vehicles might look like, what, what regular countertops might look like. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now look at this verse. Paul didn't say godliness with, with contentment is okay. For some, for you, not for me. That's not what he said. He didn't say that you might like this. He didn't say godliness with contentment is something other people say is good. He says it's great gain. Like he's pumped about it. He's super excited to say on the other side of this, this thing we call contentment, being happy with what you have, coupled with a relationship with God, is great gain. He helps us with our attitude and it helps us understand why this is right. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. That's true. He who dies with the most toys still dies. You don't get to take them with you. I mean, you could try. They bury them with you, but you don't get to take them into eternity with you. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Man, that's great gain. That's good stuff. Now, as the verse continues on, he's going to identify a family that might not be doing so well. That looks good from the outside because they got a whole bunch of stuff, but they're broken. They're hurting. It's unhealthy. There's stress. There's tension. Check it out. He says, people who want to get rich, let me just help you, break it down. People who want stuff. People who want stuff fall into temptation and a trap don't say any more, Paul, but and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That sounds great. I'll have some of that, please. Two, one order to go for later. It says, for the love of money, look, it's not money that's the issue. It's your love of money. Your pursuit of it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money and stuff have wandered from the faith. So they're not even believers anymore. They've stopped going to church. They've stopped putting God first in their life because they're now pursuing stuff. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. That doesn't sound very nice to me. I say, griefs? What are griefs, Aaron? What, what griefs would you be talking about? Debt? Many of you think that you have credit, but let me tell you something. Credit is what has you. That's so good. Someone should write it down. That's good. Oh, so good. Thank you. I got a cheering section up here in case you missed that. <laughs> Other griefs we see today are our financial pressure, stress in your life, the tension over money, unable to enjoy what you have because you're worried about how you're going to pay for it all. You're stressed. 
You're looking for happiness in stuff and in your next purchase, and you're never going to obtain it. That's what griefs look like. Financial griefs, man, it's marginless living. There's a foolish way to live, and there's a wise way to live, thank God. So what's the problem? Why do we trade margin? Why do we trade peace? Why do we trade flexibility and tranquility for stuff? What is the trade-off? Why do we do that? The answer is found in any behavior that you want to examine in your life. There is some truth that you believe or something you've identified as a truth, and you're acting upon it. In this case, I believe that we have believed a lie. There's a lie that we have chosen to follow, and that is the lie that culture tells us. And it's a lie they tell us about happiness. Because see, culture's definition of happiness is more than what you currently have. That means that whatever it is you've identified that's gonna make you happy, the moment that you get it, your happiness is actually beyond that thing that you thought was gonna bring you happiness. Especially when it's attached to stuff. That new iPhone XS, XR, or X Max Plus, whatever. Your happiness is not contained there. It is beyond it. It may look cool. Everybody might be talking about it. Your happiness isn't found there. Once you get it, it's beyond there. It's a lie that we have believed. But we believe that lie because we want to. We think, well, I deserve it. Well, you think, well, I, I, I got to have it now. You, you think, well, I can make payments. Or you think, I'm not happy because I don't have it. And I, and I got to have it. I sit with young people. They're going to get married. And I do these counseling sessions with them. And I talk to them about the danger of trying to begin life where their mom and dad currently are. Like, like you want to try to start out life in a, in a condition that your mom and dad have spent 30 years building. They spent 30 years working up to that nice house. They spent 30 years working up to driving nice and new cars. They spent 30 years doing this. And you think you got to have it now. I'm going to tell you guys, the number one killer in marriage is finances. It just is. And if you got to have it all now, the second you get married, you go run out and get all that stuff, you are tying a noose around your neck that will choke out the very life of your marriage. I'm just, I'm just telling you because I love you. I'm not mad at you. It may sound like I'm mad because I'm using really aggressive words, but I'm not. I'm just, that's what debt will do to you. That, that's what it'll do. I'm telling you, happiness does not equal stuff. We've all believed a lie. And if you keep on believing this lie, you're going to wind up in a Disney movie singing a song. I owe. Oh, I'm going to try it over here. I owe. I owe. I owe. So it's off to work, I go. You owe, you owe. And listen, you don't want to be in a Disney movie singing that song. Nobody wants that. Doesn't make any sense for you to be there. Truth about, the truth about your current situation is many of you are more blessed than you ever thought you were going to be. You have more stuff, more opportunities than you ever thought possible, and yet you're still absolutely miserable. Why? Because you believed a lie. 
you, you've believed a lie. So what's happening? Why are we here? Truth is that each one of us have lifestyled our way out of margin. I said, lifestyle, what does that even mean? He said, you've chosen a lifestyle that matches your current income level. So you get a raise at your job or you get a better job and you go, well, now that I'm making this amount of money, I was making, I did have this little bit of gap between what I spent and what I made, but now I'm making this. So I'm gonna go ahead and live up here at this higher level. And what you did was you just eliminated your margin by your lifestyle choices, the comforts that you choose to have, the kind of car that you choose to drive, the kind of house and all these things. You've lifestyled yourself out of margin. I'm convinced our financial issues are not from an income issue. They're from a lifestyle issue. They're, they're absolutely from a lifestyle issue. As your income goes out, goes up, so does your lifestyle. You say, I can afford that new monthly payment. I can, I can get those granite countertops, which by the way, I don't have a problem with granite countertops. They're just expensive and they're not necessary. The other countertops will work just fine. I'm not against them, just saying. When we're talking about margin, if you don't have it, you don't need them. That luxury vehicle, you don't need them. The 500 channel cable bill that you pay every month, you're like, man, I can afford this now. You're never gonna watch all those channels. You're, you're never gonna do it. You say, well, now that my, my income has gone up, I can eat at Chipotle five days a week now. Or Chick-fil-A six. <laughs> Not on Sundays. We don't keep margin, though, in our lives. Our lifestyles increase with our income. And most of us live either at our limit or beyond our limit on a regular basis. You spend more than you even earn. It's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue. It's a problem. So what's at the root issue of a lifestyle, of the lifestyle issue? What's at the root of all that? Say, Aaron, give us practical things. That you're a practical pastor. You give practical steps. Help me get out of it. Listen, I'm convinced that in this situation that practical steps are not really going to help you with this. Because really, most of you know the practical steps to deal with a lifestyle issue, and you're not doing them. The, the real issue is, is a spiritual issue. That's why Jesus said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. In other words, don't buy a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to be gone eventually. It's, it's, don't, don't, don't spend your time doing that. But you know many people, that's their goal, is to get more stuff, to get better stuff, to get nicer stuff. That's their goal. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's like, hey, listen, most of us want to say, well, what I care about is what I put my money to. That's not biblically correct. It says where your treasure is, your heart follows. The average American gives 2% back to God's priorities. 2%. That means that 98% of the money that we spend is for us. It's to be consumed on us and our goals and the things that we want. It's being given to the world. That means that 98% of our heart is pointed towards the things of the world. And we wonder why God is not enough. We wonder why we just want more stuff. It's a spiritual issue. So what do we do? How do we create margin in our life? Well, there are simple things you already know to do, and I'll share some of the simple things with you. 
Pragmatically, you just need to spend less or earn more. Simply put, right? And you know how to do that. You know how to do that. I'm going to share with you some simple things to do. You, you can spend less or earn more. You can go out and get a second job or a better job to increase your, your money coming in. Or spend less, just cut out some unnecessary things in your life. Now, I'm going to share with you what might be some unnecessary things that you probably would not identify as unnecessary in your life. Reach over to your neighbor and pat him on the back and tell him it's going to be okay. Because this might be a little traumatizing. There's a few things that you can go without that are not necessary. Hear my words. Cable TV. I'm afraid I'm going to get something thrown at me. The newest technology. You don't need to have it. All right, here's where it really hurt, first service. You don't need to have, most of you, most of you don't need to have Wi-Fi in your home. You, you don't need it. Some of you work from home, and you do. But most of you, that's not the case. Here's another one. How many of you guys got smartphones? <coughs> See, nobody wants to play along, because you know where I'm going with this. You don't need to have a smartphone. One of them Nokia phones that you had back in 1998, that will work just fine. A pay-as-you-go phone? Come on now. You don't have to have the fancy interweb at your fingertips and you, you just it's not necessary you can still call someone you can still text someone a little the struggle's real but you can do it it's possible you know somebody really loves you when they got one of them phones and they still type you out that long book they always send you you know something, other, other unnecessary thing you can cut out of your life, you can, you can stop going out to eat so often. That might mean Chipotle too. Not likely, not likely, not likely, but you, it, might, it might mean that. It, it might mean, hey, that I drive a used car. Because you know what? Buying a new car is like the worst investment ever. The second you buy a new car and drive it off the lot, you lose thousands of dollars in value. The second you drive off the lot, you can drive a used car. Others of you, your clothes, where you get your clothes. You don't have to, you don't have to wear those, those expensive brand labels. And if you do, you can get them from like, I mean, like you can, you can get them from a thrift store. They got them in there. You can get them. You can find them. Find the deals. I, look, I'm just saying, some of you are just appalled at the idea that in order to create financial margin in your life, you would do some of these things. But these are things that, that are possible. You can also choose to cut up your credit cards and just pay cash for everything. Look, there's a whole list of things. And if you want to learn about having a healthier financial picture for your life, we have something called a financial freedom group. Now, our group started a few weeks ago, but in between first and second service, uh, the leader of that group came up and said, listen, we, we only have, we, we have plenty of seats left in that group. We, we only just got started. We're on session two this week. You can jump right in. So I'm just sharing that with you that there's a financial freedom group that will help you get your arms around your finances and create some margin in your life. It's better. It's, it's better to have it. You can do that easily. But you know most of these things that I'm telling you already. And very few of you are doing them. Why? Because there's a deeper root issue. There's a spiritual issue that must be upended. So the real way we create financial margin in our life 
is to put God first in our finances. That's how we do it. Now, this is, I'm not just talking about tithing here, though. If you're new to this, what tithing is, it literally means a tenth. It's 10%, returning 10% to God, and not doing it after all your bills have been paid, which is how most of us do this. We, we pay all our bills, and anything that's left over, we give it to God, like it's just like a last resort. But tithing says, I'm going to give return 10%, and I'm going to do it first. Before I pay anything else, that's what I'm going to do. But it's not just that. It's also saying, God, what do I do with the rest of my finances? You're Lord of my life. That includes my finances. How would you have me live my life? How would you have me spend my money? How would you have me wisely manage the resources that you've given me? God has to be first in every area of your life, guys. Every area of your life. He won't play second to anything. He won't play second to finances. He won't play second to your schedule. God is either God of all or he's not God at all. He must be first. And we need to put him first in our finances. Remember what Jesus said last week. The verse isn't up on your screen. I apologize, but it's Matthew 6, It says, but seek first the kingdom of God. We said that's God's way of doing things. And his righteousness, that means his right living, right way of living. And all these things that you need, all that stuff is going to be added to you. He says, seek him first. Not just in tithing, but, but in the way you manage those monies. Seek, seek his way. And he promises that if you do this, that everything else is going to be given you. That, that all of it will be added to you. So here's what happens when you put God first. The first thing that happens is you experience God's blessings. That's the first thing that happens. When you choose to tithe, put God first. I call it the first and 10, because it's first and it's 10%. I did a whole message on this earlier this year, and I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time, but here's, here's the Cliff's notes on it so that you, you kind of get a condensed version that when you put God first in this way and you do it first, not after everything's paid, you do it first, there's a blessing that's attached to it. In fact, Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was the temple. That means the church. That's the modern day church today. Bring the, the, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house to support what he's doing, what the priests were doing, God's work, Right? He says, do that. He says, bring it, not give it, because it's not yours anyway. All that you have, if you're a Christ follower, you understand that all you have, God has given you. That includes the strength in your body to get up out of bed and go to the job that he gave you to have in the first place. You say, well, I got that job. You think you got that on your own? You think he didn't give you the gifts and the talents? You think he didn't wire you and give you the ability to gain wealth? He did. Pastored. I said pastored, like I just pastored you. I felt like I'd clear that up since I just said that and realized how it sounded. He did. He gave you the ability to do it. That means that, that even the finances that you earn are all because of him. He gave it to you in the first place. You're just returning it to him. He, he, he says, I just want you to trust me. I want you to give it to me. It's, it's honoring. It's honoring when you do it first. I'll never forget this. A few years back, my son, I took him to Dairy Queen, and Trent was so excited because there was a new flavor of ice cream, a blizzard, and he just had to have it. And I was pumped to get it for him. Man, I love blessing my kids. And so I bought him one of them blizzards, and everybody else got some too, but they didn't get one of the new flavors. And I remember handing it back to him. His eyes are huge. He grabs his spoon, and he dives in on that ice cream. And he pulls out that first bite, and you can see him. Like, it's almost in slow motion. I'm watching it in my rearview mirror, and he's like, no, 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 You know? And I'm like, hey, Trent. He says, yeah, Dad? I said, can I have a bite of that? And he's like, sure can. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. Can I have that bite? He said, you want the first bite? I said, yeah, yeah, I want the first bite. And you could see the inner conflict just raging within my son. What? Wait a minute. Do you know why there was conflict? He loved me. He was going to give me some ice cream. There's honor attached to the first bite. There was honor. He said, yeah, Dad. And he went ahead and gave it to me. It's because my boy loves me. And I'll never forget in that moment, God spoke to me and whispered. He said, and this is exactly what you're doing when you tithe, when you put me first. You're honoring me by doing it and giving it first. It's important. And I know, listen, I know when, when you start talking about money, everybody gets a little uptight, especially when a preacher's talking about money. God knew we would be apprehensive about this. He knows that money is like the number one contender for the throne of our hearts that he's supposed to be sitting on. He's well aware of that. That's why he gave us this next verse. He says this. He says, test me in this. And the reason he says, test me, it's almost like a 90-day money-back guarantee. We like the guarantee on the box, right? We want to know what the warranty is. We want to know what the promise is before we buy the thing. Because we have no idea there could be just absolute junk in the box. And it could still have a guarantee on it. But we want to see the guarantee. We want to know that it's a guaranteed piece of junk. It's a Tommy Boy reference. Just deal. Truly, though. Because God knows that we're going we're to process this and go, look, I can keep 100% of this. If I just keep 100%, can't I do more with this? Can't I buy more? Can't I create more margin on my own? Can't I more, more if I just keep it? Well, okay. But it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God can do more, do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. It takes faith. And so he gives us this guarantee. And this is the only place in the Bible he does this, where he says that I need you to obey me, and then you can test me. Nowhere else does he say this in the Bible, because he knew we want the guarantee on the box. <laughs> test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. Man, that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Tithing. When you do it first and you give your best, then God just blesses the rest. That's how it goes. It builds our faith because it teaches us to reorganize our lives in a way that it's positions toward God. That's what tithing teaches us. I've talked to a lot of people after messages like this where, where we're going to talk about money. One guy in particular said, Aaron, I can't really afford to tithe. He said, well, actually, he said, I could. He said, but I'd have to turn off my ESPN in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to say no to some things in your life in order to say yes to putting God first in your life. That, that's just the way that works. You say, well, what if I don't have margin right now, Aaron? Should I wait to tithe? No. Listen, you're never going to be able to afford to be able to tithe. You just, it's just, you're just never going to be able to do it. There's never a good time to start. But once you start, it breaks the curse off your life, and you'll always be able to do it. You'll always have more than enough. This is God's promise, that if you'll just trust him, you can do it. 
because it breaks the curse off your life. It helps change your thinking, and it uproots a spiritual issue that has led you to a marginless life. That's what it does. Put him, in the, put him first in the form of the tithe. You'll see his blessing. Second thing, if you put God first in your finances is you become supernaturally content. When you seek him first, when you pray and ask for his wisdom, when you pray and say, God, teach me your ways, how I should handle my finances, what I should do with it, when you talk to him about it, you'll become supernaturally content. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better. Everybody say better. Say better. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. So just better is, is to have just a little bit of stuff, a relationship with God, than great wealth with turmoil. Now, few people believe that, but it's in the Bible. It's written there for you, so you can, you can see it. It's true. It's better to have something that's paid for than having to work to make the payments and the stress of, de- stress of debt. It's better to have financial peace than the anxiety that, that, uh, that says, how am I going to pay for this? It's better when life hands you lemons, which, by the way, life will do that. Life is going to hand you lemons. You say, my God, Pastor, be positive. That's what we need. All right, I'll be positive. I'm telling you, I'm positive. Life is going to hand you lemons. But if you have financial margin in your life, you can take those lemons and make lemonade and then sell it. A little stand. better. It's better to have gratitude for what you already have rather than pursuing happiness on your next purchase. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's just better. It's just better. The world says that you'll be more happy with your next purchase, but that is such a moving target because you're never, ever going to achieve it. You're never going to find happiness through more stuff. While culture defines happiness that way, God defines it as contentment with what you already have. It's better. Some of you are like, Aaron, I don't think that's going to work. Have you ever tried it? It's better. I can already hear you pushing back. No, I like all my comforts. I like all my stuff. It's better. Financial margin is better. Being weird is better. All the weird people said. Yeah, it's better. It's better. It's better to have money to give. It's better when something breaks that you can repair it easily. You have the money to. It's better to be able to see a need and be able to meet it. It's better. It's better to pray about, watch this, it's better to pray about what extra you have than never having extra to pray about. It's better. It is better. It's better to live in a smaller house with peace than in a bigger house with stress. It's better. Put God first in your finances. Don't need all that stuff. God is enough. It's a spiritual problem that we have. It's better. You want to be spiritually content? Put God first in your life. You want his blessing? Put him first in your finances. That's the way you do it. The third thing that happens when you put God first in your finances is that you end up with more of what matters most. When we look at Proverbs 8, verses 18, this is God speaking about wisdom, which is really just about himself. And check out what he, he says. He says, this is what you get when you, when you put him first, when you pursue him. He says, with me are riches and honor. Sounds good. With me are lasting wealth and success. Give me some of that. My fruit is better than fine gold. Okie doke. 
And my gifts are better than the finest silver. Like, are we actually reading the Bible? Are we really understanding what it is? God says, hey, this is, this is what comes with me. When you put me first, this is, this is what you get. What God has is way better than what the world has for you guys. It'll be better because you'll be rich relationally. It'll be better because you'll be rich spiritually. It'll be better because you'll be able to be a contributor instead of a consumer. See, when you have financial margin, you have the opportunity to walk out what Jesus said. He said, it's better to give than it is to receive. It's just better. I've never actually gone into a store and made a purchase that made me a better human being. By that, I mean like even at 75%, 90%, 95% off. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty great. And it's close to a religious experience, but it's not, it's not what I'm talking about. I've never had, had a sale, a purchase that I made that really touched me deep in my heart to buy something for me. It's just, it just, it's, it's never inspired me, challenged me, ever. But I'm gonna tell you something. You know what has? You all post these videos on, on Facebook and you can see a bunch of them on YouTube. There's these videos of generosity. Man, those inspire me. It's better to give than receive. That's why you'll watch. There's a church down here in Pickerington a few years back. I don't even remember how long it was. But they decided, they, they were teaching a series on generosity. And they decided this is how it was going to play out. They took up an offering. They ordered some pizzas. And this pizza girl shows up in the middle of service. And they bring her in and they walk her up on stage. They pay for the pizzas in front of everybody and then give her thousands of dollars as a tip. They didn't know who she was. She was just the pizza person. Some of you are like, I'm going to sign up and give me a job as a pizza delivery guy right now. Use me a thousand, a couple thousand dollars and I recall watching that video and just, just crying, just bawling my head off, being inspired to be more generous because it's better. See, if you want more of what matters most, you got to start doing things a little different. It's better. It's better to give to receive. It's better when my wife and I are able to help somebody out of our margin, our, the extra that we have. We've got an extra bedroom. We, we've, got a, we've got extra finances we're able to give to give. It's better. It, it, it's, it's better. When you get to, get to, to, to do things like I get to do, like I, like I get to go on missions trips, and my wife and my family and I, we sponsor three kids in, in Honduras, Stephen, Isuani, Milagro. They're beautiful. We love that we get to sponsor them, but we love even more to hug their little necks and know the difference that our sponsorship is making in their lives. It's better. It's better. And you can have better too. Because, because better is a choice. You know, my wife and I didn't always tithe. I, I've been a Christian for the majority of my life. But even when we came back to church, we didn't, we didn't tithe immediately. Came back to Christ. Mainly because we, we just said, we don't know how we can afford it. Don't know how we can do it. But we decided to do it. When we finally decided to do it, it was December 2011, I want to say. We looked at each other on a Christmas month and said, this is the toughest month to do it. We're going to do it. 
and we have no idea how. But at the end of the month, there was more. More than we knew what to do with it. Like, how does that even happen? It's because God's faithful. It's because he's doing something supernatural. It's when you place your faith in him, God does what he can only do. He'll do more with your 90% than you can do with your own 100%. I believe that. I believe that. And I can't explain that to you. It doesn't make sense. But I promise you that if you put God first in your finances, that you'll experience his blessing. It'll break that curse off your life, upend that, that spiritual issue that's in your life. It'll also lead you to be spiritually content, and you'll have more of what really matters most. I say the choice is yours because the choice is yours. It's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue, and that's a choice. You're either first or God is first. God being first is better. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each one of us individually. Show, show us, even those of us that say, oh, we're already tithers, we're, we put you first, God. Maybe, maybe there's something to uncover today. I have no idea. But I pray that you would just speak to us. And that, that we would have the faith and the courage to respond to it. That we would be bold about it. That we wouldn't delay, that we would, that we would pursue whatever that next step is. And I know for some of us here, the next step we already identified, we need to get in that financial group. After, after church today, you're going to sign up. Some of you already have. Help us to let go of our excuses and our reasons why we can't do that. Help us. Look, some of us are going to take a step of faith to begin tithing and trusting you. Take that step. And some of us are going to begin praying bold prayers about, God, how do we handle whatever you've given us? What would you have us do? Lord, I pray in each one of those that you would give us the faith to follow you in each step that you lay out. We need you today, Holy Spirit, to do that. We trust you. Now, there's many of you here in this room, you're ready, you're like, all right, Aaron, I wanna, I wanna trust God. I wanna have faith. I wanna trust him with my finances. But before you can begin doing that, you need to trust him with your life. See, faith is a spiritual journey, and the first step in that spiritual journey is a relationship with God. You don't just get a whole bunch of free stuff just because you, you put a check in an offering plate. It's what he promises in relationship with him and trusting him. That's where it starts. And today, there, there may be some of you in this room, you're like, Aaron, I need, to, I need to begin a relationship with him. I don't know how to do that. Others of you, man, you, you had a relationship with God at one point in time, and you, you maybe have drifted. That happens in all of our lives, guys. We drift in our relationships, especially in our relationship with God. And God says the only way to get back is through Jesus. The only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus. See, you and I were born with this thing called a sin nature. It separates us from God. He's perfect and pure and holy, and we're not. And for us to be with him, our sins have to be forgiven. And there's unfortunately nothing that you and I can do to ever have that happen. No effort of our own, no good works that we can do, no amount of church attendance that'll matter. But God in his grace and his love knew the condition of mankind and he, so he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life. And only Jesus could say, I'm gonna 
I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to sacrifice my life so that they don't have to, they don't have to die and spend eternity in separation from you. And so that's what Jesus did. He came and lived on this earth. 33 years he was here. He died and rose from the dead. And he was killed and murdered brutally. And he, he did all that for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be restored to a relationship with God. And today, he says, listen, all this is a free gift to you. It's how much I love you. It's just a free gift. Here it is. And all you have to do is receive it. The way we receive it is we say, hey, Jesus, I just want you to be Lord of my life. I'm going to give up my way of doing things. I'm going to learn your way of doing things because it's better. It's better. So if you're here today and, and that's something you need to do, you're ready to say, Jesus, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to, I want to make you Lord of my life. That means Lord of my finances too. That I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you want to be included on that prayer, would you just let me know that's you? Just, you you're not going to have to come up front or say anything. You, just in your seat where you are, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you for being so bold. Church, that's, that's five people today that have said yes to Jesus. No, no, okay, 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 we'll celebrate in a minute. We'll celebrate in a minute. We got some work to do. But, but is there anybody else? You can put that hand up now. I need to say yes to Jesus for the first time or I need to get back. All right, guys, let's pray. And church, listen. It's people that are praying this prayer are taking a step to enter into God's family. That means they're part of your family. And we don't let family do anything alone. So we're all gonna pray together right now in this moment. Say, Jesus, I need you. Today I give you my life. Show me how to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. And make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.